0: Welcome to BrainCore, the podcast that introduces you to new psychology and neuroscience research. I'm Tolu Ferromika and I'm joined by my co-host, Christina Valcanis. Happy New Year! Um, Christina, how's your year going so far?
1: I mean, what are we, like, 10 days in? No, 12, 12 12 days in. I guess it's, can't complain, first 12 days, um schools online for the rest of january for me so it's gonna be it's gonna be a a little bit of a kind of low-key start to the year what Mm -hmm. about you
0: like a gradual start yeah same here um the university of toronto is starting in-person classes they said after january 31st but i don't know we'll see what happens then as well
1: Yeah, they always just string us along a little bit. It's like, yeah, we're going to start. And then you get closer to that day and
0: they're like, (laughs) never mind. Yeah, like, (laughs) Um, but yeah, I kind of like the gradual start to the year. Um, It kind of allows you to get your bearings a little bit, even though like everything's online. Um, But yeah. So yeah,
1: it's less like
0: intense. Mm hmm. Yeah, so today we are talking about something that we've never talked about, Um, but we have like ventured into conversations about how technology can affect mental health, Uh, and today Mm -hmm. we'll kind of be doing something similar. So um, there was a magazine article that came out last October in Psychology Today about how a metaverse would affect mental health. And I want to preface this conversation by mentioning that this isn't based on an actual scientific study. Um, I believe the author just created, you know, an opinion piece from existing research. Uh, But Hmm. before, yeah, before we continue, we should probably define our term of the episode, which is metaverse. So, Christina, what is it?
1: So (laughs) the expert, of course, No, I'm not an expert on metaverse, but the metaverse is like a virtual world where people basically just interact with digital selves or avatars. Um, But it's not like you're just playing like Sims or something. It's more like you are actually in the virtual space with the avatars and you're interacting with other people around the world. And I actually had no clue what it was. I always feel like I'm kind of behind the news everybody (laughs) has already knows about things like the metaverse and they're talking about it and i'm like hold up what is this new word Mm -hmm. i found out about it like probably in october um when we got an email from our school saying our campus is now in the metaverse and i was like wait hold up Mm -hmm. (laughs) what is that Mm -hmm.
0: but yeah oh that's interesting what so what did your school mean by that
1: i like apparently we are in the like in the platform like you can go to our campus and i think i don't know who makes it facebook or something in their metaverse and you can like walk around the campus and stuff
0: oh okay yeah they have that at, like where i work as well um yeah and now you can like go in there and it is structured like what the hospital is structured like and you can go and talk to people you can even play the piano
1: <laughs> oh my gosh yeah
0: um But that's really interesting. And I think I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I didn't even really know what uh, the metaverse really meant. Mm -hmm. Um, And last October as well, uh, Facebook changed its name to Meta Platforms or Meta for short. And it kind of feels like they've been moving towards this idea of a virtual social world for some time now uh, so I did a bit of research and I was like what um they've been thinking about this for probably 10 years yeah um, so Facebook as a parent company acquired Instagram in 2012 and WhatsApp in 2014 so um, I feel like majority of our listeners should know what those apps are uh, but they also acquired Oculus, which is like a VR headset company. VR standing for virtual reality, for those that don't know. Um, and VR basically allows you to create avatars in video games and virtual worlds in general. So um, when Christina said that it's not like being like playing Sims or something like that, it's like you are immersed. Um, your body movements are also translated into this virtual space that you are in. Um, and that way, it's, it's a bit more different than if you were playing a game like Sims. Um, and these headsets, so you put them on. And so they also cover your eyes, your ears. And like these headsets then immerse you into that virtual reality. And they range from like $200 to $600, depending on how immersive they are. And it reminded me of that, like, Black Mirror episode. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, like, the guy is using, like, a VR headset. And he gets so, um, I don't want to use the word, like, addicted to playing the game that he was playing. That he is found, like, waking up in the middle of the night and just going to go and play it. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen that episode? No. <laughs> I have to watch that. Hmm. Um, I don't wanna have any spoilers and we will talk about like addictive behavior soon. But yeah, have you ever used a headset like that?
1: No, I actually had like I was given one for free though that you could put your phone in. Mm-hmm. They gave it to us at frosh and at that time I still had like an older phone. Like I I had the iPhone five or something <laughs> and it wasn't built to fit in. So like I I was given this headset and I just couldn't use it. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, but I've seen people use them. I've just have you used one? No,
0: um, but I remember I was talking to this guy who owns a pharmacy uh in Nigeria, and mm-hmm. he we were like attending this um tech conference, I think maybe it was last year or twenty twenty and i was i was you know I was kind of confused as to why. He was at the conference because I was like oh what are you using tech for in the pharmacy there and he goes like they have a you know vr headset in the pharmacy so it's like when people are feeling a little bit um down they can put on the headset and be uh you know taken to this any scenery you want so like the you know you can put on the headset and be like on top of a mountain or in a desert or just, like, at the beach or something like that. And so his reasoning for that was that, you know, sometimes people have tough, real realities. And so yeah. why don't – why wouldn't they, like, have that in the pharmacy so that people can come in and kind of escape for just a couple well, That's minutes. cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I wasn't expecting that, and I was so impressed. Um, yeah, it's, like, therapeutic. Mm-hmm.
1: It's And it's, like, kind of – we always like imagine will we ever be able to teleport well I guess kind of if you can create these um simulations that feel so real
0: yeah then
1: it's a fine line between it reality or is it fake
0: yeah (laughs) hit the mic
1: my bad I'm getting too excited
0: (laughs) yeah I was also saying before we started recording that we've never we've never really like delved into conversations like this, but I think it has a really cool uh impact or relationship with mental health um mm-hmm. and just like psychology, neuroscience um as a whole. So in the article there were some concerns that they brought up. And we'll just talk about one of them. Uh, the first they brought up was psychosis. So they mentioned, you know, what if an individual starts to hallucinate and have delusions because they've had so much um, time in another reality? You know, some people, they said, can't even deal with their own actual reality. So why do we think that they would be able to deal with a virtual reality? Mm -hmm. I think it's a valid point. I think so, too. Like, there's
1: always um, this kind of sense of control you need to have over. Like, you have – there's self-control in your reality, and then if you have this virtual reality that you got to control yourself into, you've got that. Mm -hmm. But then you have to control your commitment to both realities. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. And are you just going to be using it as a sort of escape from the reality that you don't like? Is that healthy to – is it a good coping mechanism to just be like, okay, I can't deal with this. I'm going to go put on my headset and just be somewhere else for who knows how long. Mm -hmm. So I guess it could be concerning in that way. But if you look at it from, I guess, the way that the um, pharmacist was looking at it as sometimes, you know, you do need a little bit of a break from what's going on. Mm -hmm. If you manage to balance it, it could probably be helpful, but will you be able to manage it
0: yeah and sometimes uh i think i really like that idea of control but also i I was on tiktok the other day
1: (laughs) (laughs) i have a timer on my tiktok because i can't control myself
0: oh my goodness um (laughs) i should have that too but i was on tiktok the other day and this person was in like a metaverse and i think they were talking to workers at meta so it was like that was their job was to just like Mm -hmm. exist in that um reality and interact with other people that were there and i think the guy was asking the worker and he was like oh so is this just your job like this is what this is your nine to five like you're just yeah and he was like yeah like that is his job to just you know interact tell people about um the company, and also, add, like, answer questions if they have any. And I was like, so this guy is just, like, at home with the headset on, and that's work. Yeah. I feel like it's, you know, right now, when you think of things like this, like Sims or other games that are immersive, not necessarily with the headset, it's, like, mm-hmm. more... Um, recreational
1: yeah it's more like a it's like gaming Mm -hmm. in a way like it's like you're playing a video game but there's some aspects like you're saying where they're trying i think what facebook's trying to do is move reality to this virtual platform so we don't actually have to go anywhere yeah like we just go places in this other world Uh which to me is kind of like okay but why do we have this world? <laughs> Why do we need to, like to do stuff somewhere else? But um, my dad's uncle's a tech guy, and he always like brings these sort of things up at like family dinners <laughs> or Thanksgiving, Christmas. So a while ago, he was actually talking about. Now I'm realizing he was probably referring to the metaverse because he was. My dad was like, "Oh, the best investments: real estate. You should just like buy a building, and you have offices in it, and people rent, and they can have their." meetings there stuff like that mm-hmm. and his brother goes are you kidding me that's gonna be gone in like 10 years people are just they're not gonna meet there they're gonna be meeting in virtual offices and I'm just sitting there like you know eating my food just like okay mm-hmm. <laughs> but sometimes I don't invest into the combos but you realize that yeah maybe we actually are going to this place especially if you're talking about this tiktok person that was working nine to five just Here's the company. Mm. This is what we do.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, we'll talk about this later as well. Uh, We almost hinted at it in an earlier episode um, where we had on Adam Molnar um, from Mm. Nurable. And I think you actually asked, like, do you think you'll be able to have, like, your work meetings virtually? Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, it was something I think it was related to COVID though. Something mm. and then he yeah, can you can continue the story. But yeah.
0: Yeah. I think you just kind of like foreshadowed it
1: to this. Yeah. He,
0: I foreshadowed it. He was just like,
1: Yeah, I think we can and I think um this will be the way it is even after COVID. Yeah. So
0: um but while I was reading the article, um, one thing that did come to mind that could be a possibility is like increase in depression or depressive states. Uh, I had a social psychology of games class last semester and we were talking about issues that video games can cause and we learned about a cool theory and the theory says that individuals are more likely to feel depressed when their ideal self is not an accurate representative or representation of their real selves. So to expand on that, because it can kind of be confusing the first time you hear it. So when one makes an avatar in a video game, they might give it a different body shape. They might give it longer hair, other accessories, other clothes, Um to make what the researchers call an ideal self. It's like what you would rather look like or how you would prefer to be represented in the world. Um, And then there's the real self, which is what the player actually looks like in real life. So I started thinking, you know, what if traits of depression and even anxiety become linked with this increased use of a virtual social reality? Because, you know, individuals are making avatars that are not similar to their real selves. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like a fake world where you can be anything you want to be. And then you kind of have to come back to that, like, real world. And that can almost be um, scary, you know?
1: Yeah, that's actually really interesting that you said that because it's like, it's back to this escape from what you have to deal with every day and I think we all have our own little things that bother us and the own our own things that we we cope with um but it's about finding a healthy way to do that and even if you're like just living this fake reality then you might just be suppressing it all you know Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the day like you don't even realize what's bothering you but it's still there Mm
0: -hmm. like you eventually have to face it
1: yeah and i was reading um the subtle the subtle art of not giving i don't know if we're allowed to swear. (laughs) the subtle art of not giving enough um by mark manson and he says that like one of the key things to depressions is that depression is that our values don't align with like who we are so he said the easiest way to sometimes um be happier and just accept what you've got is to change your values Mm -hmm. so instead of being like oh once i'm rich i'll be happy it's like you know changing that value from money makes you happy to um happiness comes from and then finding something that you've got already day to day
0: Mm. Ooh, that's like like, it's
1: kind of like a if you're making these fake avatars, you're kind of just like appealing to these extravagant values that you want. Like mm. I can make my avatar drive a Lamborghini if I want, mm-hmm. but
0: I don't have that. Yeah, right. And so it's almost you're, you're kind of experiencing those things that you would like. And then when you have to come to a reality where you don't have those things, it's almost like... Uh, inevitable that you will be unhappy
1: yeah it, all, it, it would like all come crashing down yeah
0: i mean <laughs> um, <Depressed. laughs> depressing. well the article goes on to talk about um other disorders they talk about schizophrenia uh but we won't be getting into that today um as with any article i think the conclusion is a bit biased uh towards what you know They're trying to sell or what they believe, which is that a metaverse would have detrimental effects. I think they actually use that word on mental health, specifically those with schizophrenic symptoms. However, uh, there are also potential positive benefits. Um, Some that came to mind for me, I said it could allow individuals to feel immersed in their workplace, even if they're working remotely. So we kind of already touched on that. Uh, It could create different avenues for treatment of certain disorders, even those with delusional symptoms. Um, You know, it's a virtual space, so you can kind of, you kind of have more leeway to test out theories and to conduct experiments to see if uh, a treatment involving VR would be helpful or detrimental. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's really important for science. Um, And then apart from that, I said it could improve, like, social networking in an online space. So um, one thing that I think we've seen a rise in over the pandemic is, like, the use of Zoom. Um, And one thing about Zoom is that, like, you can get pretty tired of it. Um, It can be used to, like, you know, have a meeting. Uh, But it's not like you feel really immersed in it. And there's also this thing called, like, Zoom fatigue,
1: where you're Mm -hmm. just sitting
0: in front of your laptop and staring at a screen. But I think like, you know, kind of what we talked about before, um, let's say you have like a VR headset and you're actually immersed in the space that you're having the meeting in. Something like that could be more, um, could be less tiring than if you're just staring at your laptop. But I think it could also help with like social networking, kind of like, what you said about your school implementing that as well it's like okay you're not a you're not on campus physically but you can be there virtually Mm -hmm. in a way that's more immersive and then you can actually like talk to people and you know see their avatar or whatever
1: yeah Um, yeah Yeah. I always like to play devil's advocate like when I read these articles that are just one-sided and it's like oh this is so bad I'm like okay but it could be good too even when I'm like in school when we had to write opinion pieces ourselves, I would always like be like oh no but I don't fully agree with what I'm saying Mm -hmm. um so yeah it could be good in ways like what you were saying and it could be bad like you could take each one of those and make it the extreme opposite where Mm -hmm. it's like yeah you're on school you're on campus but you're not actually there like Mm -hmm. you're not actually having these social interactions but if you can't have social like if you can't actually go in in person, it is better to be able to put on a pair of goggles or whatever and <laughs> show up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was also saying like, it could become I was, addictive. Like you were saying with the black mirror episode where, mm-hmm. or even with the, um, the fact that people might be creating these realities that they prefer mm. to real life. Um, how do we know if it's an addiction or not? Right. And like, could this become an addiction for some people, where they just um, turn away from real life and are always in the metaverse? Yeah. Is that a bad thing? Like, yeah. To eat, sleep, breathe in the metaverse, or
0: yeah, that was why I brought up that like that TikTok because the person was already working in the metaverse. It's no longer that they're doing it for fun it is now something they're doing as a job. So then I was like, how much further can you push it? You know? And I think Mm -hmm. I agree with you that there, there sometimes you see maybe an article or something that comes out that is very opinionated and, you know, very biased towards a specific point of view. But of course there's always two sides to the story or even more sides. Um, And the article really focused on existing disorders like schizophrenia depression anxiety and something that they called problematic internet use or piu and interestingly i had never heard of that before um and i think this goes back to your point of when does it become an addiction so even though they mentioned piu you know i I looked into it it's piu Problematic internet use is described as addictive behavior towards computers and internet use to the point where it leads to maybe an impairment um, in how they function or distress to the individual. But it hasn't been recognized as a disorder by the World Health Organization, the Diagnostic and Statistical uh, Manual of Mental Disorders, or the DSM. Which for those that you know don't are not really Uh, immersed in in the field of psychology that's kind of what we use to diagnose individuals Um, like that's not we that's what psychiatrists (laughs) use yeah I don't do any (laughs) diagnosing we're not out here diagnosing (laughs) yeah but it's it's a way to guide your diagnosis Um, and excessive internet use is not in it
1: yeah um, I heard like little Rumor. little uh, rumors <laughs> that they're trying to add it in, but mm. they listed it, they basically listed it as a condition for further study mm-hmm. because it needs more research. Like, I think we've all seen through our day-to day life somebody that's like spending too much time on their phone or even you might have experienced it yourself where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm on Instagram for the seventy fifth time today, like <laughs> mm-hmm. looking at the same posts over and over. Mm-hmm. What am I doing? So, they said the evidence was too anecdotal and stuff. Like they need specific criteria for it to actually become an issue that they can diagnose people with. Mm. Um, But I think, I don't know, maybe one day, like if we collect enough evidence, they might be like, okay, yeah, this is a problem. Um, But on the other hand, I think people are also just like using it to fill a void, like Mm. a psychological void. Like I think most addiction stems from, some sort of trauma mm-hmm. I want to say like mm-hmm. um like you don't just start you don't just become an alcoholic because you're drinking just because you don't just pick up a, a beer and yeah then it's all not of a sudden. because
0: the drink itself yeah. yeah you know like it comes I think I, I agree with that point um and we kind of touched on that in that episode about uh myths
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he mentioned
0: that yeah um and i mean i guess it kind of goes back to then like what kind of needs an individual has um but to go back to the dsm um a new one is coming out in march and some yeah <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Some changes that have been hinted at are the addition of a prolonged grief disorder, uh, the addition of symptoms for suicidal behavior and non-suicidal self-injury, uh, and they're making modifications to more than seventy disorders. Um, and I wanted to like to bring that up because. As time goes, like I don't want, I don't know, for people that are not immersed in psychology and neuroscience, disorders do like the the criteria for disorders do evolve with time. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, back in the day, someone who would be diagnosed with something like hysteria or something like yeah. that today, it's a more grounded, more solidified diagnosis, and that's because of research um, and scientific evidence. But a few semesters ago, um, my professor had someone come in to discuss an alternative to the DSM. Um, hmm. Yeah, and I was, I was like, wait a minute, there are alternatives? <laughs> um, and this group of psychiatrists and psychologists uh, were from Stony Brook University, the University of Minnesota, and the University of Notre Dame. Um, and they proposed a new approach to diagnosing mental disorders and they called it the hierarchical taxonomy of psychopathology or high top i think for short or hitop HITOP. (laughs) high top
1: we need more acronyms in the
0: psych the world of psych i guess so um and this new approach says that we should look at mental disorders as existing on a spectrum so one positive thing about that is that um certain symptoms, like the existence of them or the absence of them, can either make or break a diagnosis. Uh, And that comes from um, also just using the DSM. Like, if you don't have a symptom or you don't have a combination of symptoms, you can't really be given that diagnosis. So their system, they said it also makes it easier to understand overlap between disorders. So what we might refer to as having comorbid Symptoms. So it's like sometimes when you get a diagnosis of something like, um, let's say, um, let's say like borderline personality disorder, right? Mm-hmm. You might also get another diagnosis of having diagnosis of having maybe a um, anxiety disorder, or maybe mm-hmm. you might get diagnosed with also having depression or something like that, and it's because. The criteria for both of those diagnoses they overlap so much that it's it's like it's like do you have one or the other or do you have both and so i guess this high top um this high top approach allows one to to look at the symptoms a bit more specifically more broadly just because it's seen on like a hierarchy um and when i was listening like in that class, I thought it was an interesting take on diagnosing um and making diagnoses. And for mm-hmm. listeners um that don't know, if you are using the DSM, like two patients diagnosed with say like depression, may not share a single symptom in common. And mm-hmm. the DSM explains this by saying a certain combination of symptoms may still mean the individual has depression, but then the high-top approach sees these diagnoses on a hierarchy. So it would allow clinicians to look at specific symptoms or broader problems that the person may have. Um, And it might actually say that maybe, you know, the person doesn't have depression. Maybe um, taking in, like, a biological account that they actually have another disorder or something like that Um, But that was kind of what I understood from their explanation of the approach. Uh, For those who know more, please feel free to enlighten us on it. Um, But yeah, like that was the alternative that they mentioned. And I'm wondering now, like, would that approach be a better um, way of, distinguishing normal internet behavior, normal um, internet use versus uh, something that is detrimental to the person's health.
1: Yeah, I definitely I think it definitely could be and I think like an, another problem
0: hmm.
1: with uh, the internet use disorder is that we sometimes need internet like for work or for school or for day-to-day activities that we do. So it's like, how do you know when it's bad internet use versus good internet use? And I think that could come into play too with the metaverse. Like you're talking about this individual who's at the metaverse for work. So if they're using it for work, is that a bad thing? And then if they're using it for like some other... Um, I don't know just like free time Mm -hmm. like how do you differentiate between okay well you actually need to go to work from nine to five so we can't cut out the use because Mm -hmm. otherwise you have no job to um well now you're there nine to five but you stay on all night Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. how do we draw the line I think you can see that too with like internet use like people will come home from work They're done their day. They don't need to be looking at work emails anymore or anything. And they're still on the phone or they're still checking work emails or still responding to like, I don't know, clients or whatever, Mm -hmm. talking about work. So I feel like that's unhealthy because you need a balance. Mm -hmm. So like having time set out in the day to figure it out, maybe that the spectrum would help with that more because it's like, okay, this person uses the Internet 12 hours out of the day Mm -hmm. but seven of those hours are at work so we're Mm -hmm. gonna actually look at it a little different and try to reduce their screen time when they're not working
0: yeah that's a good point um i think like to go back to that depression diagnosis i think one important uh symptom if i'm like remembering correctly is that it's, or maybe not even depression. I think maybe it's it's OCD. Like, some of the criteria for OCD, you know, obviously, well, not obviously. One of the symptoms that I think is really important is that it causes a a problem in daily functioning. So it's mm-hmm. like maybe... I think when we watch like movies or stuff like that one the the way we view ocd is like somebody who you know needs to do a certain number needs to do a certain task a certain number of times you know or maybe they're so um they're you know compelled to do something so many times before they feel like okay i can leave the house like maybe I need yeah. To, yeah that kind of thing but that's actually not how it is is in real life Um, and to actually get that OCD diagnosis I think it's like it needs to affect your daily functioning Um, at least if you're diagnosing with the DSM um, if you were then to apply that to this case it would be that is that person who is working you know on their laptop on the internet for 12 hours is it affecting their daily functioning or mm-hmm. are they still finding time to eat? Are they still finding, you know, they're still getting good amount of sleep. They're still, you know, socializing, interacting with their family. Um, I think it would be really difficult to base a diagnosis of, you know, internet use disorder or, you know, yeah. VIU on just the amount of hours that they're using the internet.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes too with... Like the, the methods that we create for diagnosing, obviously we need some sort of way to control this. So we're not just willy nilly saying, oh, you have depression to mm. random people. But I think sometimes the way that we do it can create barriers, not only for like uh, the doctors diagnosing or the psychologists, but also the patients too. Because if you have this sort of manual that says this is what somebody with OCD looks like, then... It creates stereotypes, too, in day-to-day mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's struggling with OCD might not even think that that's it because they might be like, oh, no, OCD is like they have this picture of what OCD is in their mind, and they're mm-hmm. like, no, I don't have that. I'm not going to go try and figure this out. It's just ha- nothing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, when we had on Chloe, um, Chloe Duckworth, I think we actually talked about that a little bit because we also started talking about self-diagnosing. Yeah, right. So a lot of the time, it can be really difficult. You can be on a wait list just to see a psychiatrist to get an official diagnosis, and then of course that could take you know some a few months or something. Um, and so people just give up on that and just say, you know, I've looked through. I've looked through the symptoms, and so I am self-diagnosing as as, as that. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> I was looking at the <laughs> the internet use disorder. Like, I was thinking, could this actually be a thing? So I was looking at substance use disorder mm. and like trying to draw parallels between it. And they have like four main kind of groups of what you need to have to be considered substance use disorder so that would be like um alcohol or any sort of drug Mm -hmm. and I was like well the internet like if we think about this as a drug could we tie it over and the Mm -hmm. four things are impaired control Mm -hmm. uh social impairment risky use and pharmacologic dependence and like I think for all of them sometimes you probably can see people that have like these four things like mm-hmm. impaired control, like you can't stop checking your phone. you can't um, you can't disconnect from your apps or your social media. Mm-hmm. and then social impairment. you're so busy checking your phone like maybe you're out for dinner and you're still checking text messages. Mm-hmm. like that creates a disconnect between you and the person across the table. Mm-hmm. Um, risky use, we've all seen people texting and driving. why oh are they looking God. at their phone? Why are they picking it up? Why are they checking notifications? Because they they can't stop. You've and then seen that
0: like meme of someone who's walking and texting and like falls into a like a well or something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah, they made it illegal to uh, text and walk across the street in uh, Hawaii. Really? Yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't be on your phone while you're crossing the street. And then um, dependence, pharma. It was pharmacologic dependence because mm. this was for drugs, but. Dependence. I think some people are dependent on their apps Mm. On their social media
0: Yeah, like, can you do
1: without it? But then, Hmm. if you look at all those four again Mm -hmm. Can we see positives? Like, social impairment Sometimes it's not always impairing Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes we use these to socialize And, you know, sometimes we need that
0: Yeah Yeah, I mean, like, in, in a pandemic situation um you kind of need it to socialize um
1: yeah and we talked about like in our earliest episode with uh carissa cassio we talked mm-hmm. about social touch mm-hmm. and i think one of us asked her something about like is there ways that we can make up for this with covid
0: mm-hmm. um
1: and she was like you even if it's like a virtual reality you kind of never get the same thing out of it because the kind of touch in like a human embrace or like shaking somebody's hand Mm -hmm. we get this social reward from it via the touch receptors in our hands Mm -hmm. that go to our brain and it literally activates our limbic system which is for uh reward and emotion so i think sometimes we might be putting a band-aid on it with Mm -hmm. like these virtual realities but it's never exactly what you need
0: right but then again we could also say the brain is plastic and could learn to get those kinds of rewards from you know something like you know a vr world where you are hypothetically getting a hug (laughs) um and it's could be possible I guess we'll just have to wait and see yeah it's like
1: our rise of the cyborg conversation we had
0: yeah but I guess that one was more like you are having things be added to your like physical capabilities whereas this one is not even taking account your physical capabilities it's just like a completely Your environment.
1: Oh my mm. goodness. Yeah. We've come full circle. Yeah. Genes in the environment. <laughs> mm. Some epigenetics. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> really
0: um we evolved
1: to live in the metaverse.
0: Mm. <laughs> Something just came to mind. It was like I don't know where I saw this, but it was this idea that that uh a town could be created where everything they need is inside like one building like they never have any use to go outside so it's mm-hmm. like it's like they work in the building they eat and sleep in the building they interact and socialize in the building um and that almost you know sounds like the metaverse
1: yeah
0: they get their groceries in the building it was really interesting i'm trying to remember where i saw that but um we can end on a good note yeah, and yeah like it's not all depressive symptoms and
1: <laughs> no 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 it's not all bad like i think like even we looked at keith kirkland um we had him come on we see positives in so many ways we saw Keith Kirkland he made the wristband to guide blind people like maybe the metaverse can help enhance um people's experience give them richer experiences just like that or um Adam Mulner, we actually asked him too uh about um where neurotech is going but he was saying like when it started off it was like all gaming but then they realized that the true value from all this technology is from virtual training Mm -hmm. so having this metaverse like you can put people through actual full-on simulations Mm -hmm. um before they head out into the real world and um Like maybe they have somebody's life in their hands. Like maybe you're training a doctor. So you put Mm. them in the metaverse and you're like, here you are in this virtual hospital. So you actually have a sense of what the whole thing's like. Mm -hmm. Um, Go ahead, practice. And then we'll see how you do. And if you do okay, we're going to let you do it in the real world.
0: Right. Um, I think for sure, like it it definitely gives more control and a better ability to test out things before you do them in the real world um Mm -hmm. and I was thinking about it from a like researcher point of view um I feel like a lot of studies nowadays especially those that are maybe studying spatial memory uh they do use VR or even AR like augmented reality um to see how we remember spaces Um, So I think it, you know, it could be a great use for science, um, for experimenting. Um, So, yeah, we'll end on a good note and leave it at that and see where we go. Um, There could also even be the off chance that people are not so convinced by a metaverse or this promise of being able to do everything you, you want to do from a metaverse. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how it goes. To our listeners, um, if you have any thoughts on this episode, please feel free to send us a message. Our email is Podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at Podcast and on Twitter at Pod. I think this topic is really interesting and has a lot of implications for, Uh, psychology research and neuroscience research and so we're really interested to know what you think I'll put the link to the articles or the episodes that we referenced in our bio because I think we referenced a lot of those Uh, don't forget to fill out the subscriber form in our bio we hope you are having a good year so far thank you so much for listening and we hope you are having a great brain day